Investing in your business can be a wonderful way to grow wealth and live the life you want. That's what I'm doing. But investing in someone else's business can be even better. In my opinion, this is the best way to generate true passive income streams. Through ETFs or exchange-traded funds, you can buy a basket of shares in different companies in one trade. BetaShares offers Australia's broadest range of ETFs, including the Global Cashflow Kings ETF, ticker symbol CFLO, which lets you invest in 200 companies with high levels of free cash flow, such as Visa and Costco, in one ETF. You can learn more about CFLO and the BetaShares fund range by visiting betashares.com.au. Read the PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Australian Business Podcast. I'm Daniel Golubev. I'm Jordan Kittis. I'm Owen Rask. We're here to help you make more profit, find work-life balance, save time, capital, and grow your business. Every week, we drop the best tax tips, marketing hacks, growth strategies, and methods to help you grow. If you haven't already, take the free Rask Business Course. Book a chat with me or Daniel at Grayspace. Or get in contact with us about business coaching. We also love hearing from you. So send us your questions and feedback using the resources found in the podcast player for each episode. Let's get into it. Jordan, Daniel from Grace Space Advisory, welcome to this episode of the Australian Business Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Love being on. Yeah, I know it's busy time of year for you guys. So as accountants, the end of uh, the financial year is June 30th, which puts us 18 days into the new financial year, which puts you guys in the middle of chaos. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just talking, um, Jordan, maybe we'll start with hell. Um what does that mean for you guys? Like, what are you guys, what's a typical day look like right now? Um, at the moment, it's just getting back to the emails as quickly as can. People, whether it's a text message, an email, online inquiry, asking us to do their tax return, it's just being able to attend to it as fast as possible and not letting anyone slip through the cracks. And we're trying our best. If anyone's watching, I'm sorry if you've been missed, yeah. but no, no one's been missed. We're, um, we're, we're staying on top of things, which is good, but it's just stressful because there's such a high volume of work coming in in such a short period of time. And we try yeah. to just manage expectations and get things out as soon as we, we can as well and maintain quality. Yeah, just to, just to put into context, I think we've got about five or six times the volume of returns coming through than we did this time last year. So the volume of calls and sort of inquiries coming through just for individual returns is just astronomical. That's more or less all we're doing day to day at this point in time. Yeah, because you guys spend most of your time throughout the rest of the year on businesses, but people, I guess, like directors, employees, um, sole traders and stuff, they need tax returns done too, right? As well as their businesses, right? So, yeah. Well, single, single touch payroll reporting had to be due on the on the 14th. So the first two weeks, we just had, you know, two staff members at a time just focusing on that for two weeks, just trying to get everyone's single touch payroll finalised so that the employees and can do all their tax returns as well. So it's quite a lot of work in the first two weeks of July for us every year. 
can you tell us exactly what that means for people that are watching or listening? What does that mean? Yeah, so obviously most people sort of that are employees, you get your payslips every week. That payslip is then reported as single-touch payroll. So when you log into your MyGov, you can more or less see live what you've earned year-to-date, how much tax you've paid year-to-date. But in order for you to sort of successfully lodge your tax return, it needs to be finalised or, you know, in quotation marks, like locked almost, where we as the accountants, a lot of time clients can do it themselves, but we prefer to do it just so we can do our proper checks in the background. So we're just making sure all the wages line up to all the payslips that have been sort of distributed, that the payments line up to the net pays, making sure the wages payable sort of function is, is more or less correct. And if there's any adjustments that need to be made, we make them more or less now or last last week. And then we finalise it and it'll show up on your, you know, your your MyGov as finalised. And that means mm. you can go ahead and do your tax return. Yeah, right. Okay. So that makes a lot of sense. So a lot of people behind the scenes of a small business don't know um, how that kind of works, like the whole thing really works. Um, but the, we spoke about this a few weeks ago, a few months ago, three of us, how the government is like moving us closer and closer to like instant, like everything being happening immediately. Um, mm-hmm. And the future will probably be the same for super as well as like pays and all that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, I think super's coming in, what, 2026 or 2027? It'll be... Um, Pay run, pay run super. So more or less that just means as soon as you process your pay run, the, the super is going to be due that same day for that yeah. particular period. Yeah, um, which makes a lot of sense, big picture, but technically like day-to-day it's a bit more, there's a few more stumbling blocks for people to deal with and get used to. But um, okay, so in this episode we're going to talk about uh, seven ways to kind of like boost profits or just think about the new financial year. Um, June 30th has rolled over as soon as it hits July one. We start thinking about the year ahead. Um, well, most of us do. You guys are thinking about tax returns and making sure everyone's accounts are finalized into June 30th. And I imagine for accountants like you guys that focus on businesses, it's a time when you get a lot of uptake from small businesses that approach you guys. Like Daniel, you said like 5X the number of, uh, like the 5X the volume from last year, which is incredible. So good on you guys. Um but yeah, we thought it just brings seven things to the table that people should be aware of, whether they're just big picture things or whether they're small things that people can do, whether they're running a gigantic business or they're running a small or medium-sized business or just themselves. Um, and I thought maybe one thing, one way to start is kind of like from the big picture down. So to talk about, um, I guess, like what are the big influences that could impact not just one business, but thousands or millions of businesses over the next year? And I don't know how close of attention you guys pay to this, but household spending, uh, sorry, household savings, the rate at which people are saving money has plummeted and spending as a result is more likely than not to come way down. So what that means is like during COVID, everyone got stuck at home with nowhere to spend money. So they banked heaps of cash. And that's why we see this explosion in like European travel and all that sort of stuff at the moment. Uh, up until June 30th, cars getting sold, like secondhand cars and all that. But now we're seeing the household savings rate coming way down, which eventually impacts spending. And I don't know if you guys have seen this with clients, but I've definitely seen this talking with people uh, and how they're making changes. Like we're making changes at home too. Do you guys see this? For sure. I think um, uh, an example of that would be for us, we have a lot of tradespeople. Um, that we take care of. And we're starting to see a lot of the maintenance-based businesses that their customers are becoming much more price sensitive. So I think as people 
belts are tightening. They're much more careful with their buying decisions. It's not as simple as, yep, needs to be fixed. This is the price, done. I think people are now starting to get, whether it's one, two or three quotes, and become much more stringent with how much money they are spending and much more price sensitive. And I think that's an effect of what what is going on in the market at the moment. Hmm. I think that's what's going to happen with like businesses too. So we've got to make a decision as business owners right now to be very careful, like more careful than any time in the last two or three years. Maybe you could say COVID was a big uncertainty, but I think for most businesses now is a very uncertain time from that perspective, particularly if you deal directly with the consumer, like, if you're a business-to-business type business, um, it's probably not as big of a deal. But the second thing is, and we do have a question on this, which we'll answer in the upcoming Q&A episode. Um, but the second point was that with interest rates being so high, um, folks are basically like not spending as much on like equipment, um, on plant and equipment, uh, buildings, expansion, and that type of stuff because loans are much harder to get. So if your business relies on a loan, you have to be very mindful that it's going to get more expensive and also that to refinance might be more difficult. Yeah. Um, We're seeing that a lot, actually. There's there's a lot of clients that are looking for, you know, short-term business loans just to help with a bit of cash flow when they want to scale. You know, we've spoken about it many times in other episodes. But getting these loans over the line now, it's, it's becoming virtually impossible unless you've got a bit of equity in, a, in your asset backed as like a director. It's very, very difficult to get any type of funding, even if it's like a 12-month short-term facility. Um, and the rates that are coming back, I think someone came back the other day and it's like a, a short-term 12-month, this is one of the big four banks as well, and it was a 23% interest rate. And I was like, wow, like on $40,000, it was quoted up like over nine grand. And I was like, geez, I was like, it's really not worth it at this point in time. You're better off sort of playing the long game and scaling a bit slower than forking that out like that. That's a lot yeah. of money in one year. For sure. And it's, it's interesting because going back the last, say, two or three years, that wasn't part of the decision-making process. What we, oh, what's the interest rate? Because they've been so low for so long, the, the conversation was, okay, I need another ute let's do it, or I need X piece of equipment, let's do it. Whereas now, that that forms part of the um, process if you're going to buy an asset. Because like Daniel said, if you're getting a, a rate back at 10 15%, if you're talking $100,000, it's a large sum of money. So it just adds another, la- another step to that um, process of making the decision. Mm-hmm. Absolutely does. And, you know, we, we see that we talked about this not too long ago about when we talked about like mergers and acquisitions that happen with small businesses and medium businesses is like a lot of that funding is through someone that owns a property or owns a home. And, and to your point, Daniel, unless you have that, that's, that's pretty scary. And I was actually thinking a lot of people I, I do. Would you say more often than not, your clients have credit cards? And by that, I mean like, we, we know that they're different to like the consumer type products because businesses use them for cash flow. Um, would you say that's more often than not something that they take advantage of? I think I think most of the time, especially recently, there's been a lot more usage onto it because I think there's a bit more understanding on sort of like data days and sort of spreading your cash flow out. So if someone's got accounts, they can, you know, push the cost of material out for call it 20, 30 days. And if they pay that on credit, they've got another 20, 30 days to potentially pay that down. So they're really focusing on trying to just utilise cash flow where it can. So 
you know, we see multiple cases where people understand credit cards and know how to use them really, really efficiently and really effectively maximize, you know, the benefits that you're getting, the point system, pay them off month to month and really maximize those days. But then you see other clients that don't focus on that or don't understand it. And they get themselves into trouble or to the point you've got to pause cards, put them into, put yourself into like hardship repayments. We see that as well. So I think with us, we're seeing more of it, but we're sort of, I know Jordan and I are both emphasizing it. Make sure you know how to use this thing because this is just a potential facility to get yourself into a really, really bad spot. So understand it and use it wisely. Mm. Yeah, such a good point. And it's the same. Like I see business owners making more use of them in our community than um, than individuals, which is a great thing because for individuals, they can pretty, they're pretty scary. Um, so the third thing on the list was um, even if interest rates subside, so the, we've seen probably the Australian interest rates slow down a bit, which is good. Um, I still think that cash is king. I, I feel like you guys are the same. Like we just talk about loans, but one thing that people and most small businesses underestimate is like, yeah, like you said, Daniel, you can kind of go faster if you use debt. But one thing that you can't really do is you can't make you can't afford to make mistakes. And so when you have cash, you have that more that flexibility. And when other businesses are struggling, that's actually your opportunity. Um, that's the one opportunity you want cash. So I feel like that's just a general rule for this financial year. If we do see some more uncertainty is to have the cash set aside. Um, I don't know if you come across many businesses. I doubt there are many businesses that you have ongoing work with, but um, a lot of business owners probably run it too thin when it comes to the amount of cash that they have set aside. Do you guys have... Do you guys have some general, I guess, words yep. of wisdom for people on that? Yeah, ideally you want to have at least, ideally six months runway of your expenses, but at the bare minimum three. And we're starting to see a lot of businesses, even if they're potential clients that come on and we'll jump in and look at their zero, even if they don't come on, we're, we're seeing that these, these businesses have a substantial cash holding. And I think it's just reflective of the first few points we went to where there is that uncertainty. And I think people, people, yeah, really understand that cash is going to be king over the next 12 months because everything's moving so quickly, whether it's interest rates or whatever it may be. It's really important to have that surplus there. So if a rainy day does come, um, you know, you're good to go. And especially if you're in the construction industry or really any industry where you're really relying on a couple of clients, especially if you're relying on them just to float the business, if they miss payment terms by a week or a month, that can be catastrophic. So that's why it's really important if you don't have the credit facility in place to really have that cash on hand for those rainy days. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. Um, cash is king. So the, the, the fourth thing was uh, something that impacts both consumers and businesses in a variety of different ways, which is this idea of subscriptions increasing in price. We've moved to this world where everything is a subscription. Even the Tesla ad, uh, Jordan, has a subscription. Uh, he shakes his head like, you're going to pay 10 bucks a month. <laughs> <Ten bucks a month. laughs> uh, if you want the internet, you pay 10 bucks a month to, to Tesla. Uh, I'm sure like every single thing that can be, there used to be a, a phrase like everything that can be automated will be automated. I feel like another phrase we could introduce is like everything that can be subscribed to will be subscribed to. Like everything becomes a subscription. And um, people don't realize, but one of the wonderful things of having a subscription, if you run a business that offers a subscription, is you can just slowly 
and incrementally increase the prices. And people don't really notice, or if they do notice, it's too painful for them to switch. So they just stay with the subscription. Um, and I've noticed that from like my Amazon Prime account when I get deliveries. But I was also hearing rumors of massive increase increases for sellers on Amazon. Um, the actual costs associated with people selling their e-commerce goods online is going way up. So I don't know if you guys have some broad experience with this with clients, um, but I'm seeing it like with most of my subscriptions. Yeah, for sure. Um, especially the Amazon, that Amazon thing that you brought up. We brought a client that we spoke, uh, um, spoke to them about it recently and there's nothing you can do with Amazon. Like if that's your sole platform for getting out your goods, well, it is what it is. So it's it's not a, not really a win for the small guy. I guess it never really is. But in terms of other subscriptions, definitely they're all going up. I think on the 1st of July, I got like four or five emails for whether it's, uh, what was it? I think it was maybe AHM that went up, gym memberships, whatever it may be. Everything's just going up. And everyone's just, like you said, oh, oh it is what it is. There's no real buck or anything like that. So mm. one, of the, one of the things that happens, I don't know if you guys have noticed this for your business, but like at Rask, we use like, I'd say 20 different subscriptions, even if it's like just random things that do like one thing for our website or automate some piece of something or other. But the ones that are the most concerning, you don't realize until you get the bill is um, the ones that are like the interconnecting uh, pieces of software. Like people might be familiar with things like Zapier. So Zapier connects like two pieces of software together and it's like a wonderful, amazing, incredible platform. No question. But that gets so expensive, like thousands and thousands of dollars a month if you don't know what you're, you're doing. Um, but I don't know if you, if you guys have any experience with that. Yeah, yet. It, happened, it happened with our invoicing software. It's not too long ago, actually, a couple of months ago. And it went up, couldn't even believe it. What was it, like four or 500%? Like it was something absurd. Well, we actually had to get onto the phone. They're like, what's going on here? Like, yeah, this is just the new pricing and everything we have is integrated through these softwares. And we're sort of like put into a corner where moving it would take so much time and even probably so much money to do so anyway. So you're sort of like pushed in the corner here. We're like, what the hell happened here? Yeah, this so is annoying. This is, this, <laughs> yeah. this is one of the reasons why I love to invest in software companies. But yeah. um, one of the things, one of the choices that I made pretty early on with Rask I don't, I don't know if you guys thought about this at all, but one of the choices I made was to use WordPress. And the reason, like, that's not like the original thought, like 30% of the internet runs on WordPress. So, like, I'm not, like, getting a prize for it or whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> the reason I, I use WordPress, even though it's, like, clunky, it's kind of gross, like, for certain things it doesn't work that great, is because it's open source, so much of the software is free, or if it's paid, there's an alternative built by some developer somewhere in the world. Like it's a hyper competitive market. So even though you're on WordPress, you're not dependent on like one provider for like all the solutions, like say Amazon. Um, and that's something that's like been like a huge blessing because I see people like using other software stacks and different subscriptions to make that work. And I'm like, oh, so glad I'm not dependent on that. Yeah, we, we actually use, funny you say that, we had a conversation with our web guy today um, on WordPress and yeah, spot on everything, everything there, like the plugins, you'd go, Oh yeah, there's a plugin for that. There's a plugin for that. Yeah. And open source, that open source model is great. Yeah. Especially pay for it. I mean, another thing that I've always worried about, it keep, it actually is one thing that keeps me up. Just the final thing on this subscription thing is, um, I actually always think about like the vulnerability of our business to pricing 
superpowers. Like I think about where our business sits relative to the the suppliers. Like you guys see this all the time. You mentioned Jordan before with like uh, like customers, like big customers, like that concentration risk. And we talked about that a few months ago. Um, but I also think about that from like a technology and like workflow perspective, like which businesses have like a lot of control over what I do. Um, like, for example, some software that I use for the website, there's only like one or two, this is not so much on WordPress, but like behind the scenes. I'm like, there's only like one or two of them. And if they increase prices 100%, no choice. I was going to cop it. Hopefully they're not listening. I won't name them. But um, <laughs> yeah, but like that's something I think about as a business owner. I'm like, I'm super dependent on that business. Yeah. yeah so so, so we, our, our tech stack is, is pretty full on. So I think we're stuck. More or less. Like, I, th- I think a, a lot of businesses would be like that too. As the technology mm. evolves, people are just so reliant on these companies for their, their day-to-day. Um, so, yeah, interesting. The Pareto principle wins once again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we could, I know you want to do an episode on that, so we should do a full episode. <laughs> <laughs> he mentioned it a couple times now. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that Italian man is just, just – worked it out. He's worked it out. Um, number five is something um, we, the three of us, think about a lot is if you haven't done it already, start to think about owning your own audience. Um, and this is super important because it sucks in the first one to two years. Like I can vouch for this. These guys could vouch for this. It sucks. It's hard. But if you can figure out a way to own your own audience, that means basically not being dependent on new customers. So not being dependent on buying customers from Google or from Facebook or from whatever and figuring out a way that you can bring more word of mouth if you're a physical business or bringing more like loyalty, which can come through a variety of forms. So it can come through like repeat usage of good quality products or in the digital business or even like a hybrid business's case. It means like just collecting email addresses and phone numbers, sending information that's, interesting and relevant to your audience rather than spamming them means they're more likely to hang around. Um, I know, I know you guys spend a lot of time thinking about like, how can people like get in contact with us and how do we automate this? I think you guys said the other day, even when you call Grace Space advisory, like it goes through like a switch, like a virtual switchboard and it goes straight to you guys. Um, and that's because you don't want to drop the ball on every customer that comes through, right? And you nurture that customer. Whereas a lot of people don't like to think about that. They just think, oh, I'll just spend more money or there will always be another customer. But I think from what I'm seeing from like marketing teams right now is you've got to nurture every single lead that comes through, especially right yeah. now. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's evident as well with the, the paid acquisitions, like whether it's ads or whatever, I guess, poison you pick. They're getting so much more expensive, especially on the Facebook side of things. Is if that's your main source of driving views mm. or sales or whatever it is, it's getting so expensive. So I think it's really important to focus on the stuff that you just mentioned, where you can grab all that low hanging fruit, and it's not going to cost you much. Much, it's probably I guess another subscription, whether it's Mailchimp <laughs> or Klaviyo, whatever it is. But it's you don't have to use them if your customer base is small. Although it's annoying, time costs mm. you nothing. If you're a startup. And you can just send out those emails or, or jump on the phone and just, just get everyone that's that's there ready to be taken, I guess, because every avenue is getting more expensive, whether it's, it's Facebook ads, um, whatever media type it is or whatever media buying it is, it's just getting more and more expensive. And the competition is getting higher as well. 
Yeah, and the conversion rates as well are much much better down the nurture path as well. You know, the conversions coming from just an online source where they're sort of not really sure who you are, what you do, what the product service is, what the offering may be, what the value proposition is, they're just sort of going in and sometimes getting stuck on the cart page. I think I was talking to a client, an e-commerce client the other day, who was showing me some of the figures of people getting stuck on just the cart page that just don't commit in the end. Even we're noticing a lot of the conversions, the word of mouth, the nurtured clients that are calling in, the conversion's super high. The more mm. They're very, very hot leads. Mm. That's actually one good thing. I think you guys know this. I, I, I know you know, know this. Um, is like podcasts are actually a fantastic medium for building brand and trust before people commit to a purchase. Like they're basically sold before, like when they rock up, they're a customer basically. You don't even need to get them to sign anything. Um, whereas other mediums take can have bigger appeal like email marketing or Facebook ads. But the smaller and more focused they become and the more intimate they are, intimacy is a really important one, the better the conversion rates, to your point, Daniel. And some people find a beautiful balance between like big marketplaces and conversion and they're like the sweet spot if you can hit them again and again and again. But for the most part, like it's really important to have that permission marketing strategy. Like every step of your channel is building that loyalty and building that kind of like them giving you more information and the intimacy aspect so maybe that's probably we could probably do like a whole masterclass on that because it's pretty cool but um we've got two more which is the number six is costing out we we got a lot of questions sent through so if you are looking to send us a question there's a link below the video or below the podcast like in your podcast player we're getting a lot more questions now um i think i told you this but like we're nearly at 9,000 um, people that listen to the Australian Business Podcast, which is huge. Like, it's growing fast. You guys are pumped. It's good. Yeah. Um, double Python. Was it the Cobra? Double Cobra. Double Cobra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's uh, for the, anyone that's not watching, that's like uh, a bit of a, I guess, a flex um, that Kate did on our Australian finance podcast. But um, yeah, it, so costing out was a really popular thing when we talked about offshoring not too long ago. Like a lot of people wrote in and they're like, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? I've been blown away. I don't know about you guys with how many businesses are considering this right now. Um even if it's not so much a cost out, it's like they're paying the extra 1500 a month for their offshore worker, but that will help their Australian team scale. So that's like something that I've seen so much. Um, and then there's obviously the other things, like things that aren't working out and maybe now's the time to part ways with your team member or whoever you've got in your business because you just can't afford to make those, take those risks. And I think you've got to do that before you have to do it. Um, it's probably the words of wisdom I'd have. I know it's not easy. I think that, I don't know what you guys think. I think like letting go of people is the hardest thing to do for any business owner. For sure. It, it's a, it's a crap conversation regardless yeah. what you, what business you're running. Um, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't, yeah. I had, um, actually, I was speaking to a, to a, one of my, I call them the OG clients. So this is probably the first client that sort of signed up with me from the very, very beginning. And they actually just had to get, let go of someone they've had for about two and a half years. And even though, the, the staff member wasn't sort of aligned with the business values. He wasn't progressing with the business like the business wanted to, wasn't going the right direction. They had all these reasons as to why they were better off without him, but they were still like, this is probably the hardest conversation we've ever had in our life, even though we know it's for the best of the organisation. 
sort of like it's still hard it's still a person and you gotta <laughs> move past that component it's like well someone doesn't have their livelihood now and you know if this person isn't smart with their money lives week to week they're going to really struggle until they find a, something new people business owners have an insane like for most business owners running their business is their life right so you build it's like a family like it's, it's literally like a family so when you let go of someone even if they are quote unquote the kind of bad apple in the group it's still so hard to let go of them because it can upset the, the apple cart like the dynamic in the team changes and you feel like you are totally well at least most people i'm sure some people don't feel like this which is maybe a blessing but you feel like you are totally and solely responsible for this person. Um, and I think like one message I got really early on in business is that there's just, there's like this thing that happens in uh, the business world, at least here from what I can tell is that you kind of just like tell people it's done, it's over, it's happening. Um, like you obviously have to be very mindful of like fair work and the policies that you follow, but um employees also probably don't think about this enough when they take a job somewhere else. They don't always think about if the business owner has been really good to them, giving them enough notice. But like my policy has always been like measure the the notice in months, not days or weeks. And I think like if someone gives you their time and they've, they're a good person to be around, I think that makes a lot of sense. To, to be like the writing's on the wall and we're going to do this. Sometimes it's not possible, but sometimes it is. Um, and we just know that it's not easy. So um, that's probably the last thing I'll add there. Um, final one, guys. And this one you guys will probably get. But I'm guessing a lot of our listenership, unfortunately, won't know what this means. Um, it's this, this idea of having an understanding of what we call unit economics. Um, I know, Jordan, you are a big fan of the, the business coaches that talk about this, kind of like for e-commerce brands and how to improve your financials as an e-commerce brand. But um, the idea of unit economics, do you guys want to take a stab at what, what, what this means? So to stress the importance of it because a lot of e-commerce businesses don't have one product. They've got multiple different products. And unless you're understanding the GP per product as well, you've got one product that could be super, super profitable where, you know, in theory, you should just double down on it and forget the rest. But you won't know unless you're going through these unit economics that you might have other products and they're just dragging your brand down, dragging down your margins, creating sort of losses and eating up good profits elsewhere. So understanding your unit economics and understanding how you get into certain positions that's the only reason, especially like an e-commerce, which is a great example here, is that's the only way you're going to scale and progress. You will get stuck otherwise. So just to confirm the way you calculate whether you're – so the way I think about unit economics is like per unit of whatever you sell, whether it's your hours of work or whatever, if you're a tradie or whatever, it's the same. But it's like breaking it down so that like for everything that you sell, you make sure that you're making a profit. And the way you guys measure that for e-commerce brands is – Basically, the cost is but the cost of selling that thing is the delivery plus the cost of actually producing that whatever it is the widget, um, and that's that's is that what you're saying is the cost line if you're comparing it. And you even include your operating expenses, you know, distributed between the products that you've got. You've got to factor in the advertising cost per unit, the returns that you're coming back. You can really, really get creative with this as well. There's no, I don't think there's sort of one shoe fits all sort of calculation for this. It's it really depends on your business and you can really get the figures you need 
and sort of the more you put in, the better the result will be. If you're a tradie, I'll use the example of a tradie. Um, if you're at the end of the financial year, just take like go on your favorite cafe or whatever, sit down, go through your calendar or go through your invoices and look at the, the 10, 20, 50 jobs you did that year and identify the ones that you just made money on them. Just like, like made money on that, lost money on that, made money on this, lost money on that. And just look at them and be like, what do they all have in common? If you're a plumber, you might find that you make a shed load of money installing you know, new tapware or something like this. Well, then try and figure out a way to, to, to just focus on that more often than not. And you might lose money on, say, stormwater. Um, because maybe you're not, that's not your expertise or whatever. And you, you, you've got the ticket, but you're not that good at it, frankly. So look at those things and be like, how can I make more money? We'll focus on the things that work. Um, and that's what we're trying to get at here. Okay. So just to recap, um, the seven things just to be aware of this, this year to help you make better decisions is household savings is falling. What that means is consumers are going to be more discretionary in their spending. So those discretionary items, those wants are probably not going to be as common. Uh, number two is that it's harder to get a loan. So make sure that you're in a good financial situation so you're not dependent on that. One way to do that is number three, cash. Cash is king, gives you opportunities to buy other businesses, to buy inventory, to buy things when your competitors are struggling. Number four, subscriptions are going up. And as we've discovered, it's not very good news. We can't control all of the subscriptions we have. And sometimes there's no replacement. But sometimes there is. Like if you're on Amazon, can you work with Shopify? Um, can you work with, you know, I don't know, direct warehousing or something, doing it yourself? Um, number five is start owning your audience. By doing this podcast, this is a perfect example. We're trying to build your loyalty and get you coming back and get your feedback so we can get better. Um, we don't spam you because we're trying to make sure that it's a good service for you. So hang around and you listen. Um, number six is costing out. We talked about, talked about offshoring. I was speaking to a Sparky yesterday who works for a business. They have 180 staff and a lot of them, all of their back office and all of their operations are done overseas. Uh, and they just can't speak highly enough of them in the Philippines too, in fact. And number seven, understand what we mean by unit economics. Get a handle on the things that work and the things that don't work especially if you're an e-commerce business, like those types of things where it's high volume, get a handle on it. So you can catch up with Jordan and Daniel at Grace Space Advisory. Uh, you'll find a link in the show notes. Uh, it's always a pleasure. We're coming back to you two times a week. Guys, I know you're under the pump. Really appreciate you taking some time out to, to chat with me and the community today. Anytime. Thanks, yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Business Podcast. I think this series is best served with my free business course on RASC education. My free course includes all of my notes, templates, employment guides, legal documents, marketing strategies, software recommendation, and ideas for starting and running a small business. If you're a small business owner or an expert like an accountant, lawyer, investor, or entrepreneur, I want to hear from you. I'm not 100% sure what we're going to do with this podcast series, so I'm looking for sponsors as well as potential co-hosts, and of course, I'm eager to invest in businesses run by talented people. If you're looking for a supporter or advisor, a silent partner, or even an investor to support your growth, I can help. Please contact me via the RASC website. Finally, if this podcast or the course helps you, I only ask that you please help me by sharing it with one friend, colleague, or family member who runs a business. Thanks for listening.